Welcome, everyone. The Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Tampa Bay Rays surprisingly winning the series two games to one. They are currently still last place in the American League East Four games under 500 and seven games back from that final wild card spot. They did gain a game over the series. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Canton, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason? Yeah, I feel like I should be really excited. We just took two out of three from the Rays. They're a pretty good team. Uh, And I feel like everyone in Red Sox Nation, at least on Twitter, is trying to tell me that, oh, yep, playoffs, playoff rush is back on and all this. But I'm just kind of sitting here going, I look at how far back they are on the wild card and certainly the division at least, and I go, yeah, you're still out of it. So nice series win. Definitely something to be excited about. Rich Hill out of nowhere, just being prime Rich Hill. But uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to get excited about. It's like it just we're in the dog days of summer now. We're entering September and it's just you're winning series with still not your number one prospect called up for whatever mysterious reason. So I don't know. I, I feel very iffy about a two out of three win. It's like, yeah, it's great. But yeah, in the long term, does it mean anything? I don't know. We definitely have to win like 12 out of 14. And I, I just, with the schedule the way it is, it's a tough sell. But uh, Jason, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm terrible at this. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, if you want to come yell at me on Twitter, as everyone else does, um, you can find me at Color of the Iris. Um, and you can come scream at me all you want and go for it. <laughs> We do have our trolls, but uh, also joining us tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Uh, I'm back, boys. Uh, that was an eventful little weekend trip. Went to go down to Miami, but similar to what Jason said, you know, it's 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 pretty much a lost season. We'll celebrate the highs when they're high. We'll bash the lows when they're low, and that's pretty much what we're going to be giving you on a regular basis. Like that's why. We uh we are who we are. We're we're the bastards for a reason, and and I'm okay with that. I've kind of just warmed up to that feeling a little bit more each and every day. And I, I guess I figured out where my haters went. They found Jesus, literally. Uh, they found Jason on Twitter. But for those that may want to check in and make sure that I still appreciate it, Smith underscore MLB. Happy to share the hate around. Uh, but you know, e- even even more so, really happy that we were able to pull out a series win against a formidable opponent in the AL East. 
Very good. Um, I want to get to some news and notes here real quick before we get into the weekend top five. Yesterday, or perhaps it may have even been the day before, Pete Abraham of the Boston Globe, and I'm just going to say it, I've said it many times on the podcast and I'll say it many more, not a fan, not a fan, probably, probably my least favorite beat writer. Uh, speculated that there could be a tough decision coming at the end of the season for ownership when it comes to either Hein Bloom or Alex Cora. And that's certainly not what I was thinking was going to happen, at least with Bloom. But why that is notable, even though he's only speculating here and nobody else is really talking about it, uh, that I could see, although I didn't have time to read an article tonight by Chad Jennings, but the reason why that's somewhat um, notable right now is after the game, Austin Davis gets DFA'd. Not a huge shock. But an hour or so after that, Hirokazu Sawamura gets DFA'd. And I'm wondering why they weren't DFA'd together. And... The two coming up, the two car- corresponding moves are Zach Kelly, who is the closer for the AAA Worcester Woo Sox. I meant to grab his numbers. I, I haven't grabbed them, but he is their closer, one of their better relievers. Charlie will grab him here in a second. And then Caleb Ort, which is kind of curious because I don't know if Ort is a is a net positive over Sawamora or Davis, but he's the second guy up. And I was con- I was assuming that the Red Sox were content to just keep Salamora and Davis the rest of the season. We're, we're seven back. Why now? I mean, these moves would have been great maybe two to four weeks ago. So I'm just wondering, like, maybe, maybe there's something to what Pete Abe is saying based on the moves as we're seeing them. And we're starting to see whispers that Tristan Casas could be up at some point this week as well. When all of a sudden last week they pulled the plug, he was possibly getting called up on Tuesday. But Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, just to um, reflect a little bit more on what you had shared with both Salamora and Austin Davis going down, Zach Kelly and Caleb Bort are back up. Caleb Bort has done very well in AAA. Uh, for the Woo Sox, this is somebody in 39 appearances as a has a 2.88 ERA. Is striking out more than one per inning, 53 strikeouts and 40 and two thirds. Has only given up one home run. I think that's something that's uh, gonna help him out in the long run. Zach Kelly is the character we haven't really heard too much about so far in Worcester. In 44 appearances, he's finished 21 of them. He has three saves. He has a 2.72 ERA with a six and three record. Has 72 punch outs in 49 and two thirds innings. Two home runs allowed. So I'm not angry about the move. Um, Me personally, I'd heard the name, but didn't really do too much research on the name. And uh, seeing what I'm seeing, I'm, I'm picking this up. I'm digging this because last year when he was splitting time between Portland and Worcester, Zach Kelly did great. 
He had a 1.69 ERA in Portland in 21 games. Came up, didn't do, uh, you know, worse. Uh, you know, naturally, ERA is going to go up. You're, you're facing some more difficult opponents and whatnot. But this is somebody who's striking out more than one per inning on a consistent basis. I think this is the right time to give him an opportunity. He's 27, so he's seasoned. He gets it. Caleb Ort, I think he's a, I think he's a little bit older. I don't know how much older. I think he's like 29 or 30 or something. But why not? Give these guys a chance. Caleb Ort already has a little bit of experience. Not a whole lot. Um, but what else? Why not? I mean, we're, what, four games under 500? We're 62 and 66 after today? I believe so, yep. So what else are we going to play for? Why not give these guys a chance, see what else that they can do? Um, who knows? Maybe we find the next super closer out of all this. Um, if it if it doesn't end up going the way that we all kind of thought it was early this year, what Garrett Whitlock's role will be in 2023, any of us that said, oh, we know, we'd be lying to you. No one knows. Uh, I don't even think Bloom knows. So um, I'm excited to see what these two can do. But why now? Why not a couple of weeks ago when it probably could have helped more? I don't know what their numbers look like two weeks ago, and it's possible that Zach Kelly in the last two weeks all of a sudden lit the Christmas tree up. I have no idea. But I don't think two weeks ago was going to make much of a difference between then and now. We're still well, well underperforming. Uh, the team in relation to Baltimore, Tampa Bay, we're not catching them. Uh, we happen to win this series, but on a regular, consistent basis, if you put our team up against, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays of the league, the um, Houston Astros of the league, we're winning maybe three out of those ten, four if we're blessed. Uh, other teams like the Baltimore Orioles, the Toronto Blue Jays, the New York Yankees, even though they're struggling a little bit, they're faltering, they could win five or six. So there are better teams in the division. To me, it just seemed like we'll make a change. Let's just see what happens. Give some kids a chance. Zach Kelly's case, fresh opportunity. Caleb Bort, we're going to just give it another chance. So to me, it's just a, there's no pressure here in Boston. You don't need to overperform because we're not going anywhere in 2022. So let's just see what you can do. And if you do great, we'd invite you to come back in 2023 and maybe there'll be a, a bigger opportunity where you can carve something out for yourself the following year, maybe a nice contract, who knows? But for me, it was no pressure. Let's just see what you can do. Jason. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think that this, uh, linking back to what Pete Abraham was saying, I think these moves are a challenge to high and bloom because Zach Kelly and Caleb Orr, are two guys that High and Bloom himself identified and brought in. Zach Kelly was a guy who was an undrafted free agent. Oakland signed him. He had a couple of injuries, didn't pitch much for them, and High and Bloom picked him up off the streets in 2020. Caleb Ort, interestingly enough, was a Rule 5 draft pick because in the Rule 5, there's a minor league system to that, uh, sort of a Rule 5 minor league draft. He was taken the same year Garrett Whitlock was taken. So that was another guy that High and Bloom identified. And he actually came from the Yankee system, oddly enough. 
So that was another ex-Yankees pitcher that I am Bloom identified. And Caleb Orr is older, like Charlie mentioned. He's 29, so we're not talking about a prospect here, right? And Zach Kelly at 27, I wouldn't call him a prospect either. I would say that these guys are they're flyers. They're lottery tickets. And I think that this, these moves that the Red Sox made, Austin Davis, he didn't work out. Okay. He had a nice little stretch here, but ultimately didn't work out. And that was a high and blue move. He traded Michael Chavis for Austin Davis and it didn't work out. And look, I, <laughs> I've been a Michael Chavis apologist for a long time. He ha- he's, he's been okay in Pittsburgh. He's hit for some power, but he doesn't play every day. I get it. But ultimately, I think you still kind of lost that trade because you gave up a guy who has major league power and maybe if he plays every day, can kind of figure it out for a relief pitcher who gives you nothing. Um, so Austin Davis, DFA'd, that's a bloom failure. That's ownership going, you lost that one. Strike one, he's out. Uh, Salamora, a guy who's great on the road, cannot pitch at Fenway for whatever reason. And that is mystifying. And Fenway is not a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but Salamora's road home splits are the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. It's it's unbelievable how bad he is at Fenway. So again, another one, strike two, he's out. So now I think this is sort of, I don't think this is an indictment on Cora. I think this is an indictment on Bloom. I think this is ownership going, okay, Let's see what else you have up your 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 sleeve in terms of tricks. You know, Zach Kelly, Caleb Ort, two other pitchers that you identified that you brought in, and you're supposed to be the guy who can identify pitchers from other organizations that will work out, like you did with Garrett Whitlock, and he deserves credit for that. He recognized that Garrett Whitlock was a guy the Yankees gave up on, took him in the Rule 5. It's worked out great. So let's see. Here's Zach Kelly. Here's Caleb Board. And we've seen Caleb Board. He's, you know, average at best. So I think this is a test for for Bloom at this point. Ort's been terrible, to be honest with you, at the big league level. I mean, he's yeah. got 15 innings, so not, not a huge sample size, not a tiny one either, but nine ERA. And he got lit up a couple of those times. So... That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not sure he's a, he's a net positive over Sal Mora or Davis necessarily, but but is what it is. Zach Kelly is going to be the more uh, interesting one to see how he slots in. Now, here's what's interesting before we do move on. In today's game, it was Sal Mora and Davis both getting lit up. So Mora in one full inning pitch gave up four hits, three earned runs, walked two. Disgusting outing. And Davis, uh, two innings pitch, three hits, two earned runs, one walk. So not great either. Brazier pitched today and uh, did okay. Gave up uh, two hits, but not a run. Now, the reason I say this is interesting is because in the first game, Brazier was the one getting lit up. Three hits, four and runs. What if he today had the terrible game, but Salamora pitched well? Does Brazier get DFA'd today instead of Salamora? It's just, it's interesting. And 
I just don't understand why suddenly there's urgency now. Like that's still perplexing to me and there wasn't previously. So it's going to be a fascinating off season on a number of levels. If Bloom gets canned, it's going to happen probably within 72 hours of the final game. Um, um, that might not be the same for Alex Cora, and here's why. If you go back to the first time around we hired him, the Yankees held on to Joe Girardi until we hired Cora because they didn't want us getting our hands on Joe Girardi. It was an extremely late firing that offseason. I think it was close to November 1st or maybe even closer to December. I can't remember. But if the Yankees fall on their face in the playoffs and they just lost the series this weekend to Oakland, last place Oakland, who's to say Boone doesn't get fired and Alex Cora is available if the Red Sox... Yeah, you don't want Alex Cora in the Bronx. It's going to be tons of managers available this year, starting with Joe Madden. And But any more thoughts on any of that? I think, Jason, you did. Yeah, the only thing I would say is I don't consider these moves to be urgency. I consider them more to be Red Sox ownership, for lack of a better term, fluxing their muscles, a.k.a. showing that they're pissed off. And saying, okay, you know what? This is the bullpen you gave us. Screw these guys. They suck. And we're out of a playoff spot. We're not going to win the division. We're definitely, you know, we're pretty much out of the wild card. The Red Sox season is pretty much over. Okay. And I think this is ownership saying, you know what? Screw Austin Davis. Screw Salamora. I think you're right. I think if that was Brazier instead of Salamora, they would have DFA'd him too. I think they were just looking for excuses. They were looking for, okay, who's going to be the next guy? to come out of High and Bloom's bullpen to get his brain speed in, and we'll DFA that guy. I, I think ownership is finally starting to show that they're pissed off and they're going over Bloom's head and going, or not going over his head because they are already over him, but they're kind of saying, no, like, we're done. These guys are not, they're not cutting it. So give us your next guy, Caleb Ort, Zach Kelly, whoever. We'll see how they do. And if they don't do well, then guess what you're going to do in the offseason? You're going to go get us a bullpen. You're going to go spend money on relievers. And you better do it. Otherwise, you're gone. That's what I'm hoping. Again, like maybe this is part of my bias showing, but like that's what I'm hoping ownership is doing is that they're sort of saying, these guys are all trash. Go get us a real bullpen because this is part of the, this has been the biggest part of the failure of this season. This bullpen has been a joke all year long. So that's what I'm hoping they're doing. So either way, I mean, I, I use the word urgency, but Bloom is under the gun. Yeah. And I want him to be under the gun, though. I want him I want him to feel the pressure of a big market. And, yeah. One other thing real quick that just came to mind. I almost kind of wished it was Brazier getting DFA today because I have a feeling he's really well-liked in the in the clubhouse and if he's getting dfa'd it sends a message to the rest of the team you know we're we're serious here and we're sick of losing and so yeah just a thought but anyway you you would think we're acting like we lost the series but we did not we won the series so we're going to get into the weekend top five we are going to start at the number five spot 
Charlie, who is it? So number five for our list today, we have Alex Verdugo. Uh, this is someone who I've always liked. I mean, this is someone who for the rest of his career in Boston will be remembered as the primary piece in the Mookie Betts trade. But this is someone who does not strike out, does his best to get on base, has ripped the cover off the ball in the month of August before tonight's game was hitting 345, after the game hitting 343. Not a huge home run RBI getter. One home run, seven RBIs. But the fun statistic here, only 15 strikeouts. Not a lot. He's doing his job. He's trying to at least get on base, do something. And in this series in particular, five for 13, a couple of singles, a couple of doubles, a home run, a couple runs scored, a walk. You averaged almost two hits a game. You did, excuse me, you did your job. And this is the type of consistency we're, we're used to getting from Alex Verdugo. This is the, you know, outside of that last series with Toronto against Baltimore, did the same thing, had five hits and 15 at-bats. Before that, did the same thing and torched Pittsburgh. So he's doing his job. It's just a matter of the rest of the team around him doing the same thing. I think Verdugo's numbers are not really painting the full picture. I think Verdugo could be someone who has, similar to that Xander uh, season when he had, if I'm not mistaken, seven home runs and 81 RBIs. And if Verdugo had more guys getting on base in front of him, I think there's a chance that he could have at least 70, 75 RBIs this season because uh, he's just getting hits when nobody's on base. It's like the Xander effect. Jason. Yeah, I, I feel bad for Verdugo in a way because he's always going to be compared to Mookie Betts, which is not fair. Him and Mookie Betts are very different players. Uh, Verdugo is exactly what he's showing you right now. He's a gap hitter. Um, he can find gaps at Fenway Park. He can find the Green Monster and and go the opposite way and get doubles that way. He's an athletic player. Does he have a ton of power? No, no. He's not going to be a thirty-five home run a year kind of guy. And you know, unfortunately, in Boston, it's like if you don't hit thirty-plus homers, the fan base just doesn't embrace you the same way that they should. Um, but you need guys like Verdugo. You need guys who can get on base. They don't strike out a ton. He has professional at-bats. And you know what? He plays a pretty good outfield. Is he a gold glover by any stretch? No, probably not. I, I don't know if he'll ever win one. But he plays a competent outfield. He plays a competent corner outfield. So he's got a good arm. He has good instincts out there. And he, he's just... He's been one of your more consistent bats all year, and he's been healthy. So you can't ask much more from this guy. And the Red Sox lineup is constructed in such that Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, Trevor Story, those were supposed to be your power bats. Verdugo was not supposed to be a power bat. He was supposed to be a guy who hit you know, 15, maybe 20 home runs at the most. But because the rest of your lineup, apart from Devers, is lacking so much power. I think Red Sox fans had unrealistic expectations. And look, the season hasn't gone the way they wanted it to, so they got frustrated. And they get frustrated with Verdugo saying, how come he doesn't have more power? It's not who he is. And you know what? I'm glad that he's staying within himself. He's on pace to have over 40 doubles. 
this year, which is incredible. Like that's a great achievement for any hitter um, in this day and age. So I just, I just hope that he doesn't try to change who he is, doesn't try to hit for more power for any reason and just continues to, you know, stay with the same approach, go for doubles, go for gappers, have good at bats, you know, take walks, all that, because that is a valuable part of any lineup. And if the Red Sox, if the rest of their lineup was performing, should be, then, you know, Verdugo would not be getting any sort of hate. And um, he, he's just, he's had a really consistent, good season. And um, hopefully he just gets better and better from here on out. Because at this point, you have to start looking at what can we build for the future? So I think Verdugo is definitely a big part of that. Here's some uh, interesting stats here. Uh, In game one of the series, he actually hit a triple. That's his only triple of the season. He drove in Tommy Pham on that play. The game was kind of out of hand at that point. We were up, I think, nine to four. Brazier hadn't come in the game yet and got torched. But here's uh, something interesting. Alex Verdugo is tied for sixth right now in the American League. And he's got 32. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. The player he's tied with is Xander Bogarts. He's tied with Xander Bogarts right now at 32 doubles. Here's where it gets even more interesting. One spot above both of them is Rafi Devers, 33. Alex Verdugo could leapfrog both of them if he has a good September. And Devers has just kind of fallen on his face since basically the start of August. Hopefully he gets that together. He did kind of wake up in the Toronto series, albeit a losing series, but um, Devers was 0 for 9 this series with two strikeouts. So, you know, it is what it is, but... Alex Verdugo has been scorching hot this, I don't know, it could be one of the the better years of his career. He did have a year over 300 um, with a pretty good slash line, but he was injured that year. One last thing. Jason mentioned, uh, you know, not being fair to be compared to Mookie Betts. And albeit a short sample size in the playoffs, Alex Verdugo is hitting 310 with a 383 on base, 452 slugging. Give me Alex Verdugo. I'll take Doogie. The guy who actually likes playing in Boston and the guy, all the other network stations when Nesson doesn't have the game, they want Alex Verdugo mic'd up. So I'll take Doogie. Any more final thoughts on Doogie? No, that's pretty much it. I, I'm kind of with you too. Like at least he, I'll say this, it, everyone posts clips of how happy Mookie is in LA, him doing the dances in the dugout and, oh, he seems like such a different person. I do feel like Verdugo actually likes playing in Boston and that's a big plus. I just hope that the Red Sox don't do what they usually do and jerk him around with the contract extension like they do with other superstars on their team. Yeah, I mean, get him a, 
I think he's got, what, two more years after this, so this would be the winter to do it uh, if you can do it on team-friendly terms. But, uh, all right, Jason, who is in the number four spot on the weekend top five? Yeah, number four is going to be Tommy Pham. Um, great addition uh, to this team in the second half, and that's that's, you know, rare for me to give high and bloom credit for anything but tommy fam has been a positive addition to this team uh he went five for 13 in this series with a homer um he's he's been great since he came here and him in the leadoff spot is not something that i would have anticipated i thought once kike came back he would get the leadoff spot back as well but tommy fam has been a good leadoff hitter and look this is a guy that He's sort of a bridge player, which is why he it's a weird fit for this team because he's 34. You know, you're not going to give this guy a long-term deal after this. If anything, he'll get a one-year deal or maybe two-year deal with options. But he's been a really positive force since coming here, and he's showing power. He's showing athleticism. Um, I think that he enjoys playing in a big market like Boston after – uh, being stuck in Cincinnati and, you know, bouncing around between that and Tampa throughout his career. I think that he kind of thrives in a big market like Boston, which is rare to find for sure. Um, I don't know what Tommy Pham's future is with this team, whether or not they bring him back on just a short money deal for another year or two, or if he's using this as a launching pad to get that sort of one more, you know, big money deal with another team, but I I've liked him so far. And quite frankly, the red, the Red Sox outfield depth is trash. I mean, it, it's Jaron Duran and, you know, maybe Nick York, if they move him out there, but you don't have really anyone else that's, you know, on knocking on the door from your minor league system, you know, to, to be an everyday major league player. So, maybe Tommy Pham does come back. And and I know that's kind of a weird thought because we want this team to succeed. We want this team to take a step forward next year, but also kind of get younger and Tommy Pham will be 35 next year. But if he's still playing like this and you don't have any other better options and he comes here on sort of short money, I don't hate it. I'll take him over Franchi or Rob Snyder or Jaron Duran any day. So Maybe he is playing for another contract here. Maybe he's playing for a contract somewhere else. But either way, he's been great. And um, I just I just hope that he keeps getting playing time and we'll see what happens in the offseason. Jason, I, I really like that you, you mentioned the age thing because this is a, a really old team. And I think a, a lot of it is is because we do have some of the oldest pitchers or one of the oldest pitchers in Major League Baseball. I think the only thing that would make this team older and still more fun to watch would be if we had Albert Pools in Boston, but unfortunately that's not going to happen. Um, you already mentioned that the, the depth that we have in the outfield is a little lackluster to be a little diplomatic, which we're not always the best at being on the show. But I'm not against bringing back Tom Pham, and this is a complete 180 from what I originally felt about Pham before he signed with Boston. I didn't want him... I thought he was a bum. He was a punk punching and slapping, open slapping other players over something as menial as fantasy sports. Just kind of pathetic. But uh, Job, who is on the other show um, for our our, uh, our midweek crew, had shared that Tom Pham had 
uh, a very open and uh, I think honest dialogue with him about um, something they shared in common. And that kind of changed my perception of him a little bit where he is about the people, especially if he has the ability of connecting with someone. Uh, I don't think that every player will do that. It's hard to find players that will give you, you know, you ask for a moment of their time and they give you 20. Uh, so I, I think that's pretty cool. But Tom Pham has done fantastic in Boston. Like, make no mistake about it. This is someone who is, if he has played the same amount of games in Cincinnati as he, you know, or same amount of games in Boston as he had in Cincinnati, this is someone that would have over 50 RBIs. This is someone who would have over 16 home runs. This is someone knocking on the door of a potential, you know, return to the the 20 club. Uh, he's at 15 home runs and 53 RBIs before tonight's action. And then tonight he hit another home run. So um, it's – I'm not against him coming back. Of all the moves that we made, you know, you touched up on one earlier with uh, Davis coming over for Michael Chavis. I am – I will die on this hill. I thought that was the worst decision uh, that day when it happened, I remember coming onto the show and I was pissed because I'm a huge Michael Chavis supporter. But I'll I'll go on the record for saying this one: if Tommy Pham comes back next year, regardless of the situation, I will not be upset. I think he has done well enough to at least earn the consideration of coming back on even a perhaps team friendly deal. If he has a really good time in Boston, and he's trying to you know perhaps finish out his career in Boston, or he just wants to have another feel good year. Next year might be it. It won't be high-octane pressure for him. So we'll see what happens. Tommy Pham is actually 34 years old. I thought, I'm, I was looking down the list to see who else on the team is older, and I'm like, well, J.D., you know, being 35. And I thought, well, Pulecki is probably about that age or older. Pulecki's only 31 years old. So, Tommy Pham, as far as uh, being, a, you know, guys in the lineup, is the second oldest player on the team. I think that's only a one or two year deal at the most uh, for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he comes back. It's I haven't looked at next year's free agency as far as outfielders go, but he's kind of he's winning the audition so far. He's just been phenomenal. Since he's uh, come to Boston, he's hit 284 with a 315 on base. And, and Charlie was covering this. Three home runs, 13 runs batted in. There was another notable trade involving an outfielder to the New York Yankees. You might have heard it from of him, Andrew Benintendi. He's hitting 250 with a 339 on base, one home run and 11 runs driven in. So Tommy Pham is giving the Red Sox more than what a guy like Ben Attendee is giving to the Yankees. So good pickup. Wished it would have happened sooner. My complaint when we got him was we could have had him sooner for basically that same cost. So it's, uh, it's too bad he hasn't come here. But having Kike Hernandez back, who, by the way, he's not on our top five but was four for 11 this series with a home run uh seems to be back to where he was before going on the injured list 
and we've already talked about Verdugo, that's a pretty good outfield. That's not 2018 good, but it's that's as serviceable as an outfield we've had all year, having Pham and then Kike and Verdugo out there. So uh, I like what I'm seeing out of Pham, and um, no complaints as far as his playing, as far as his character goes. He's been a spark plug, and like Jason said, surprisingly, a very serviceable guy in the leadoff spot. So no complaints there. Number three on the list, I have this guy. I'm annoyed that he's on the list, but he had a good series, so we'll put him on there. Franchi Cordero, only four at-bats the whole series. It was one for two in game one, one for two in game three of the series. Both of those hits were home runs, and they were solos. But in a pinch, you need a first baseman. And it's annoying that Hosmer is on the injured list. (laughs) Almost feels like he hasn't been here yet. But good series out of Cordero. Having said that, am I a believer? No. Do I want him to have as many as one at bat with the Red Sox in the 2023 season next year? No, I do not. <laughs> so, uh, Jason, go ahead. Thoughts on Cordero? Yeah, I'll I'll praise him for a quick couple of seconds. Uh, he had a good series, and it's nice to see him hitting for power because that's all we heard about this effing guy when Bloom first traded for him. Is oh the plus power? Oh wait till you know. Wait, have you seen his swing? He looks like David Ortiz. Yeah, okay. Uh, we all know what he is now. He's a four A player who occasionally can run into one. He ran into two this series, which that's great. Yay. Um, I'm going to actually take the moment to just complain that why is Tristan Costas not up here? Why, why is he not up here? Why Hosmer goes on the IL. You, you, you need first base help. You're bouncing back between Dahlbeck and Cordero. Neither of them can, can get it done. Story at the time was just coming back. It's like, just call him up. I'm so sick of this. Well, we, he has to get a full minor league season. Have to give him a full season because, you know, it's been really weird for him. It's been a little bit weird with all the injuries. It's like the minor league season is going to end in a couple of days, I think. So what's the point? You're going to call him up in September anyway, unless you're going to tell him to sit on his butt for all of September. Just call him up. I'm so sick of the Franchi Corderos and the Bobby Dahlbecks and – Let's put Christian Arroyo at first because we think we're clever and we have to maximize that asset. No, just call the kid up. So, look, as far as Franchi's concerned, it's great to see him be productive. Quite frankly, I think that this series, the two home runs, was Franchi hearing the footsteps. Because I don't think Franchi's dumb. I think he he looks at the calendar. He knows what the date is. And he knows what the score is. As soon as Casas does come up, which he's going to, Franchi's done. He has no value outside of that. He's not a good outfielder. He's not a good hitter. So he's done. So it, it was nice to see him have a good series. It was nice to see him contribute to a winning series here at home. But ultimately, this is a guy who's a veteran, who hears the footsteps, 
and knows that his time is is limited and he put in one last ditch effort that's all it was Wait, before charlie weighs in if rob bradford has a bloom might be fired article tomorrow costas will be up on wednesday no doubt no <laughs> doubt yeah <laughs> go ahead charlie yeah i mean it's boomer bust with franchi i mean earlier this year we were looking at his numbers and if i'm not mistaken uh, Jason, we talked about, I think this was a point that you'd brought up mid July 0 for 16 with 15 strikeouts or 0 for 16 with 17 strikeouts. I don't remember the exact number. Um, but it was ugly. It was disgusting. And it was not something that you were expecting from a major league ball player. You can't live on that. And when they called Franchi back up, I think it was for the KC series. I could be wrong. I'm not hundred percent. Um, he had a home run in like his second at bat, we're like, wow, that was cute. We weren't expecting that. And then a couple days later, another home run and then another one and then another one. So it's, it's almost like the, it, it, for the lack of a better term, it kind of feels like a going away tour, kind of like the one that Albert Pujols is getting. I don't think pitchers are grooving pitches for Franchi Cordero, but it just doesn't feel like, we're going to be seeing Franchi for much longer. So I'm not going to complain too much. You look at his numbers so far in August prior to today's action, four for 15 with three homers, four RBIs, six strikeouts, 40% strikeouts of your hits, 75% are home runs. So you are either home run or nothing. And we have plenty of that in Boston. We don't need another one. He seems to light up AAA and then... The lights are on and nobody's home when it comes to the majors. Jason Ray mentioned he's not stupid. He knows what's going on. He sees the warning flags and the warning lights are on. I'm not going to complain too much about it because before mid-August, late August of him starting to do work, this is someone that from the 10th of, you know, the 11th of July on, one RBI. Just one. And that's just not going to cut it at the major league level. It's especially not going to cut it when you play for the Boston Red Sox. So thank you, Franchi. It's nice to see you do some, some, you know, a little bit of action towards the end of the year in some, for lack of a better term, meaningless games. You did hit a career high in home runs this year, but there may be another team that takes a chance on you. If not, enjoy AAA or playing international. It's just not going to happen for the Red Sox. Jason, who is in the number two spot on the weekend top five? Yeah, in the number two spot, it's Xander Bogarts. Uh, five for 12 in this series. So he's waking up a little bit offensively, hit a big bomb on Friday night. Um, I thought kind of a telling reaction from him, too. He hits a, a massive home run over the monster and turns around, kind of throws his bat the kind of reaction you see when a player strikes out. But, um, and, and I think that this is a guy who we've talked about it all year. Like he bet on himself. He bet on himself. He, you know, the reports have been out there that he's going to opt out. He wants Correa money. He wants top shortstop money. Um, and let's face it. He's had a decent year, but power wise, that's his 11th home run of the season. So, Power-wise, he's dropped. Defensively, he's stayed about the same. 
maybe he's a little bit better, but not not big time better. And the team is struggling. The team is in last place, and they're going to miss the playoffs. So I think what you saw out of Xander Bogarts this weekend was a guy who is frustrated but still kind of wants to prove his worth. Now, whether you can read into it whether or not he wants to prove to the Red Sox that he wants to, he deserves to stay here or if he's proving to the rest of the league that, hey, I've still got something to prove and I still deserve top money, you know, you can debate that all you want. But either way, he was awesome this weekend, and, and he was really good offensively. And, look, he's hitting over 300, and he's finally into double digits for homers. And you talked about his double numbers earlier. He's in the 30s. So, you know, he's top 10 American League in extra base hits. But it's just Xander is such an interesting case because I think that we all look at a guy like Raphael Devers in this fan base, and we say, you've got to sign him, right? because of his age, because of what he's doing offensively, how much he's progressed defensively as well. He's only going to get better. You've got to sign him. I feel like now there is a little bit of a refrain in terms of people looking at Xander Bogarts and saying, well, maybe you don't have to sign him. As much as we all love Xander, maybe maybe it's okay. Maybe if, if he's asking for 28-plus million – Maybe you don't have to give him that because, again, you know, sure, he hit, he hit a big bomb this weekend, but 11 homers on the year through late August, he's not going to hit 20 before the year end. So is that a guy that you really invest in? So in terms of his weekend overall, I, I think you saw a guy who channeled his frustrations the proper way. You know, he, he sort of had some angry at-bats and he, he was hitting the ball hard and you know, again, just had a really productive series and showed what he can do when he's at his best. But it's it kind of goes in line with who he's been this whole year. Just you don't know when you're going to get that because for all we know, for the next 10 days, Xander Bogart's going to go 0 for 16 or whatever and just not hit any power. And, you know, Alex Cora will give him three days off in the next five for whatever mysterious effing reason. Um, so he's kind of a frustrating player. He's been frustrating all year. So he had a great weekend. It was great to see, but I still, I'm so on the fence in terms of his future here in Boston, whether or not I want the Red Sox to go all in and hand him the paycheck and keep him here. Or whether I just say, you know what, you're not worth it. Go somewhere else. I really don't know. So Xander is going to be, I think someone will always wonder, do I think that Xander Bogarts is going to be a Red Sox for the rest of his career? I've had multiple points where I've felt one way or the other years ago, six years ago, I said, throw the bag at him. You don't have to sign him for 200 plus million, sign him, sign JBJ, get them both in there on seven year deals and pay him over 130, 140 million, and you pray that one of them hits. That was what I wanted to do back then for both both of those two guys. Mookie Betts had had rumblings that he wasn't going to sign a long term deal in Boston, which was accurate, didn't end up happening. But with Xander Bogart's numbers, yeah, you're hitting over 300. You're just kind of a, a slap happy guy. You get singles, and that's kind of going to be your career. 
singles and doubles. I don't think that the days of you being a home run hitter are are ahead of you. I think they're very much behind you. I'd be shocked to see you hit 15 home runs a season for the rest of your career. But if we're going to talk about just this series, five for 12, four singles, a home run, four RBIs, three strikeouts, one error, that's going to happen. You play a premier position. It is what it is. Am I going to be sad when Xander Bogarts leaves Boston? I don't know if sad's the right word. Is it going to be, you know, disappointing that things didn't work out? Sure. Because Xander wants to get paid like a premier player. And I get it. You play a premier position. The problem is you don't play it well. And you're on the wrong side of really 30. Like you're you're playing like you're a little bit older than you probably are. And in three years, I don't think you're going to live up to even half of that contract. So as much as that hurts, if Xander Bogarts is wearing pinstripes or another jersey next year, Am I really going to be hurt? No. Will I remember some fond moments of, you know, Jason, that bat spike that he had when he hit the home run? Sure. Absolutely. Because, yeah, that was a great home run. But, unfortunately, we have options. And Xander will have options as well. He played his his cards. The Red Sox are going to play theirs. And I think this is someone where when he comes back to Boston and he's wearing another uniform – He's going to get into the batter's box and the catcher is going to stick his hands up and stand in front of home plate. And the fans will give him a standing ovation, probably lasting two to three minutes as they should. He is a part of a World Series club. He has done a multitude of things for Boston. But at the end of the day, this is a a business. Xander is going to view himself in a certain manner. The Red Sox are going to view Xander in a certain manner. And if it's not aligned, it's not a marriage. And unfortunately, I think there's just been too much damage done where whether or not this is an actual fact or not, where the extension that Xander was looking for was just the one-year $30 million deal, that's not what he was looking for. He wanted a handsome reward for past performance, and the Red Sox just aren't going to do that. So it's tough. We have you know another month or so with, uh, with Xander, and maybe he'll opt in. Who knows? It really, it really is up to him at this point. In the last week, I've drastically swayed in one direction when it comes to Xander Bogarts, and it's that I really don't want him back. And the reason I've kind of come to that conclusion is you got to refresh the chemistry. You gotta you gotta turn over that clubhouse. You gotta change the energy. And I think having a bunch of new faces in there could create something a little bit more magical. This, if any year was a year for Xander to go off, it was this year. This is a contract year for him. He's hit four home runs, driven in 17 RBIs since the All-Star break. Six of those 17 were in this series. That's the only reason it's as high as 17, because he had a good series here against Tampa. But he's kind of choking in in his walk year, in a year he needed to be robust. Another area where 
I don't want to say he's necessarily choked, but he hasn't been robust in this area either, and that's the playoffs. And a pretty large sample size, 44 playoff games, that's a lot. I don't know what the average is for most good players, but 44 games, that is not a, a big sample size. Uh, I mean, that is a big sample size. Excuse me. It's a massive sample size. He's hit 231. That's his batting average. 231 in those 44 games. 309 on base, and he's only slugging 381. He hasn't even been big in big moments in the postseason. So this isn't a guy. I mean, he fades in the second half. He wears out. He's got stamina issues. And he's he's not great in the month of October. I can live without Xander Bogarts. And I know a lot of the audience is probably going to be upset with me for saying that. And a year ago, I didn't think I'd be saying this at this point. But it is what it is. Signed Devers, I don't, I don't know what the short-term answer is. For Bogarts, actually, you probably move Trevor Story over to short if Xander really isn't coming back. Christian Arroyo is hitting 372 since the All-Star break. He's got 35 hits, uh, which ties... No, that's more than Xander Bogarts. Xander has 32 hits since the All-Star break. So Christian Arroyo has three more hits, and he's played only 24 games to Xander's 32. And Christian Arroyo is outperforming Xander Bogarts. So maybe maybe he sees some time at second next year with with Story at short. You're gonna, I'm assuming, have Devers still at third. You're gonna have Tristan Casas at first base. That's a very serviceable infield. And eventually you got Nick York, who who I think is a second baseman. So I don't know if next year, you know, that's an Andrew, uh, you know, that's an Andrew specialty, but I don't know if perhaps Nick York comes up uh, in the second half next year. I think he's been hurt this year, so maybe that puts the original 2024 projection, uh, you know, on track. But I'm fine with Alexander moving forward. And if he ends up in New York, so be it. Eventually, that's going to have an Ellsbury nosedive to it, I feel like, when it comes to him breaking down and so on and so forth. It won't be as quick as it was for Ellsbury, but I'm good with it. Any more thoughts on Bogarts? Yeah, the only thing I would say is, like, you know, you brought up his playoff numbers. 2013, you don't win without David Ortiz. Xander Bogarts was... You know, I think that was his rookie year, to be fair. But, you know, they moved him to third base. He had an awful offensive year that whole season. So he was not a big part of 2013. 2018, you don't win without Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez. So, it, again, Sander Bogarts, you t- your two World Series years, was not really a big part of him. He may have been, you know, he may have helped you get there. But like you said, in the playoffs, he wasn't the guy that won you those years, he was just kind of there. And you mentioned your infield depth going forward. Marcelo Mayer 
people are saying by 2024, he might be ready the, the way he's going. So not even Nick York, not, you know, like Marcelo Mayer might be your starting shortstop in 2024. And who knows, maybe by then Trevor Story is still playing second base and Nick York is in left field or something. So Sandra Bogarts, by betting on himself, and again, like I'm very leery on prospects in terms of if they all work out, but Sandra Bogarts, by betting on himself this year and kind of, you know, dipping downwards with the way the Red Sox infield depth is, he didn't do himself any favors. I'm just kind of shocked at the idea of anybody thinking that Trevor Story is going to continue playing second base. I think the only way that that would happen would be if, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I just think that if that's going to be the case, there's going to be a specific player who doesn't end up leaving Boston because they're just doing it to appease him. But you guys heard it August 28th, what Jason just said about Trevor Story saying, you know, staying at second base if certain changes get made. So something to, to monitor right there. Interesting for sure. Interesting take. I like it. I thought I had one more. Oh, I, no, it was just a tidbit. Um, and for the listening audience, Marcelo Mayer, I think, got promoted to high A this week. So that's Greenville. That's only one more stop from double A Portland. <laughs> so it's he's moving quick is uh, what we're getting at. Charlie, go ahead. The number one spot on the weekend top five. Who takes it? Uh, I don't. I, you know, honestly, if you're a Red Sox fan, you watch this series. Father Time has to be the guy who you give it to, and that's Rich Hill. Seven innings, three hits allowed, a walk. You're hearing me correctly when I say this. Eleven strikeouts. That was a masterful performance by Rich Hill. Masterful. I had to look back and see when was the last time that he struck out 10 or more. It was last year. He ended up doing it. He struck out 13 uh, Kansas City Royals. Not that crazy of, of a, a week. He did the same thing uh, in April last year. He struck out 10 Oakland Athletics. So not the craziest opponents, but he still did the job. And this is someone who has been – high and low in Boston this year. He's continued to do um, great against specific teams. You're striking out 11 guys. You're doing your job. You know, he's still struck out uh, almost. Uh, do, do I think he's going to strike out more guys this year than, than last year? I don't think so. But if he can finish out strong here and strike out 100, I think he might take that as a personal victory. This guy's 42 years old. He's been in the league over 20 years. Like it feels like he's been in the league for actually 20 years. I think it's, it's probably just a little under that. But this is his third stint in Boston. He's doing it again. He, I think, picked up his 10th career win with the Red Sox by doing so. Um, when I was looking at the numbers over the weekend, I can't say anything bad about him. I mean, I, I, I a week or two weeks ago, I forget when it was, I said, you know, if if Rich Hill has a bad start against the the Pittsburgh Pirates after having bad appearances against both the Braves and the the Astros, is this the last we're going to see of Rich Hill? I'm so glad that I was wrong because in in that last, you know, couple of appearances, he gave you 5 plus innings, mind you, 42 years old. 42. 
He's doing better than other starters that are a little bit more than half his, his age. So I'm not going to say anything bad about Rich Hill unless he starts to light up and get hit for 10 runs in a game. But three hits, a walk, seven innings against the Rays. Granted, this is a team that you played for last year. You kind of know them a little bit. But 11 strikeouts, that's incredible. So I, I'm i not going to say anything bad. And I think this was a great showing after hearing, you know, all that, all those great investments that High and Bloom made and players like James Paxton that just didn't really work out the way that we thought. Thank God we have a guy like Rich Hill that can give you seven seven good innings against a, a, a team like Tampa Bay. And for all those folks that thought that James Paxton was a great signing, sorry, kids, you're wrong. It's time to wake up. 2022 is calling, and uh, that wasn't even remotely close. That was a $6 million donation, kids. $6 million donation for nothing. Thank you, Rich Hill. Thank you. Yeah, hard to complain about Rich Hill after the weekend he had. And I just keep thinking back to earlier this year when Rich Hill and Michael Walker were two guys that we looked at and said, well, second half of the season, I don't know. They may not be in the rotation because Chris Sale's coming back and James Paxton is coming back. And, you know, they'll probably add a rotation arm at the deadline because – Ryan Bloom's so smart. He'll find a starter out, out there somewhere, and, and he'll add to the rotation. Instead, get ready for more Rich Hill because Chris Sale's done. Not to any fault of his own. I won't fault Chris Sale for getting hurt this time because that's a freak injury that I, I still can't even believe that happened. Um, James Paxton, don't get me started. On James Paxton, which uh, the Illuminati will still try and tell you was a smart signing. And, well, it was a signing for 2023, but he won't pick up his player option. Okay, so that's contradictory. But anyway, we'll, we'll leave that for another day. Um, yeah, <laughs> Rich Hill's going to get a lot more starts. And you just hope they're more like this and not the three innings pitch, six earned runs, barely gets through 70 pitches. Um, you have to bring in your bullpen, and we know how that goes. So, it, look, it's, he was a guy who was kind of just a bonus signing. He was not supposed to be making significant starts for you, and that's kind of indicative how the season is going because he's going to make many more starts for you because you're just you're that thin at this point. Um, you know, Evaldi's hurt now. Whitlock, you know, he's back in the bullpen where he belongs. Tanner Houck is out. Like we said, you know, Sale, Paxton, they're out. Um, this is what you got. And you have no starting pitching depth coming up, you know, or at least you thought you did. But Winkowski stinks. Cutter Crawford is good, but not consistent. So it's nice to see 42-year-old Rich Hill go out there and pitch really well. But it's also just kind of a glaring, you know, you've got a 42-year-old who has to pitch good games for you in order for you to win. You don't have anything else coming up. You don't have any other starting pitching depth helping you out. Rich Hill most likely is not going to be here next year to help you. So what's your plan going forward at starting pitching? 
You've got Nick Pavetta coming back. We saw how that went this weekend. He was terrible. Nathan Avaldi, who knows? Chris Sale, who knows? James Paxton, God, who knows? I hope he's not back. He probably will be, unfortunately. So it's just, again, I hate to be like sort of a downer because it was a great performance and I take nothing away from Rich Hill. I think the familiarity with the opponent, like Charlie mentioned, having been with the Rays last season, you know, familiarity helps. He probably knows a lot of these hitters, knew how to attack them, and that was great. It was awesome to see. But I just can't help looking at it with a bigger picture and going, okay, that's nice. It's a great start, but what are you going to do next year when you get to face the Rays? Because, like I said, most likely Rich Hill's not going to be here. So great performance, awesome to see it but I still worry about what the future holds for that starting rotation. James Paxton is getting paid $1 million more than Rich Hill this year. (laughs) Rich Hill's out there grinding his ass off, you know, and he's trying, you know, I'm not going to take it away from Hill. He's just trying to get the most out of this career as he can and he's he's been hurt and at one point he was playing in the independent leagues because everyone gave up on him and then in 2015 the Red Sox called him up late he put together uh, a great you know final couple months of the season and parlayed that into that big uh, deal that Oakland gave him I think it was 48 million over four years but as far as his start goes, it kind of came out of nowhere. His his Fenway ERA this year is well over six, might even be over seven. That probably went down with this seven-inning outing, but there was no reason to suspect Rich Hill was going to give you seven innings with 11 strikeouts. None whatsoever. And he figured it out this weekend. For what it's worth, in the month of April, he did face Tampa Bay, only went four innings. I don't think he gave up an earned run, so that could speak to the familiarity that you guys were talking about since he pitched there last year. It was nice. I'd love to see it another time or two before the season ends, but uh, that remains to be seen. But it was the best performance of the weekend of, of any player on the team. So he was deserving to be number one. So with that, we will get into the Minnesota twin series here, which I believe does start tomorrow. And it does. They've had, I think just about every Monday off this month. So, and we do have matchups. So, uh, Monday night, that's a 7.40 p.m. start because they are in the central time zone. Brian Bayo coming off of a pretty good start against the Blue Jays, will be facing Dylan Bundy. No relation to Ted. Uh, Jason, how do you see that one going? I will actually take the Red Sox in this one. Um, I'm hesitant to do so because Bayo still kind of scares me at times. But Dylan Bundy, he's been up and down for the Twins, but they're they're hurting right now. Buxton's hurt. 
Um, he's on the 10 day IL. So, you know, Bayer won't have to contend with him. I think Buxton is still their most talented hitter. Um, I just, Minnesota does not scare me. And I know the Red Sox don't typically play well there, but I think Bayo can control that lineup a little bit. And I think the Red Sox do pretty well against Dylan Bundy. He's, he's average at best. You know, he's had a decent year there, but the ERA is still close to five and the Red Sox are familiar with him. They've seen him in Baltimore. They've seen him here. So I think they know what to do with him and I think they'll do enough to keep themselves in the game. So I'll take the Red Sox for game one. Yeah, we're going to, we're going to run it back. We're going to go two for two here and say that Bayo is going to have a better game. Uh, I feel that Dylan Bundy is borderline done. Like we're just not seeing anything left in the tank. His last three games, he's pitched 15 and a third innings. He's allowed three earned runs to his credit, allowed seven hits to his credit, one home run allowed, Three strikeouts in 15 innings? Dude, you're a major league pitcher? Are you serious? That's just... I mean, Rich Hill almost did four times that in his last appearance alone. And and granted, Rich Hill's not going to be doing that week in and week out, but you're at least getting three, four, five strikeouts out of him. And we're just not seeing that from, from Bundy. So whether it be the competition, which is, mind you, Houston, Texas, LA. LA doesn't scare me. Texas doesn't scare me. Houston is a good team. They probably should scare me. I just hate them so much. Toronto's a good team. He actually struck out six in that appearance. Um, I, I just don't see it. Brian Bayo, fantastic performance against the Toronto Blue Jays in his last appearance. Better than his last two, three, rest of the year combined. Um, seven strikeouts was a career high. He still has not given up a home run in, in his major league career. I'm knocking on wood. I don't. I hope that doesn't happen against Dylan Bundy and uh, the Minnesota Twins here. But I don't know how you can pick against Bayo. He's uh, he's pitching consistently. He's getting the job done. You started off from the beginning of the year. Someone who's thrown 80 pitches, four innings, struck out two. 82 pitches, four innings, struck out five. Fast forward to the most recent appearance against Toronto, and mind you. He's had six appearances in Major League Baseball. Four of those six have come against AL East opponents. Two against Toronto, two against Tampa Bay. Five innings in his last appearance, only 65 pitches. Incredibly consistent. So I think if they were to stretch him out a little bit, we might see him get his first quality start. It's crazy that Bundy's still around. I mean, he, he's a career 470 guy. His best season was in 2016 against... Uh, excuse me, in 2016 with Baltimore. He was 10-6 and six that year with a 4.02 ERA. He Well, he did have a better year in 2020, but that doesn't count. Um, so I just it's just amazing this guy still gets signed and continues his career, and he's only 29. It feels like he's been around quite a while. I'd figure he'd be at least 32, 33 by now, but... Anyway, I will take the Red Sox. I'd love to see another good performance out of Bayo. Uh, he's healthy right now. There's nothing uh, physically nagging him. So um, I, I'd love to see another uh, good start. And I don't see why it won't be. Game two, 
Cutter Crawford versus Chris Archer. Pulling up Archer's numbers here real quick. Uh, his last three starts were against Houston, Texas, and Anaheim. Nothing to write home about. Got tagged for five runs against Houston in four innings. Not too bad against Texas. Uh, five innings, just one earned run, struck out five. Four innings pitched against the Anaheim Angels. Three earned runs, five strikeouts. I mean, this is a guy I we can't really say this core of Red Sox players is super familiar with because it's a much different roster than when he faced Tampa. But, but Jason, how do you see this one? Yeah, and that's a good point that, you know, this core of Red Sox players hasn't seen him in a little bit, but I'm sorry. He's 2-12 and 12 lifetime against the Boston Red Sox with an ERA of 5.27. Um, the Boston Red Sox smack Chris Archer every time they see him. And I just don't I, – I think it's more just the book is kind of out on him. He's – He's going to rely on his heavy slider and his fastball doesn't have what it used to. So I think the book's out on him. I think the Red Sox hitting coaches and and their players are going to be well-equipped. I just, and Cutter Crawford, again, he's nothing too special, but he battles. And I think Chris Archer could give up like five runs in the first two innings and Cutter Crawford, you know, should be okay after that. So I'll take the Red Sox on this one because I'm sorry. Chris Archer against his team, he stinks. Like, the Red Sox own him. Uh, so I'm I'm really torn about this one because I know how I'm going game three. We already shared how we went game one. I really do want to lean towards Cutter Crawford and, and going 2-0. But Cutter Crawford hasn't really told me and spoken to me saying, yeah, I've got this starting thing down. So someone who has a 7.5 ERA in the month of August. Not really screaming, I got this. He's given up five earned runs, nine earned runs, four earned runs, a lot of home runs. It's not screaming confidence. And uh, I don't know if it's going to be any different. I unfortunately have Minnesota taking this game out of the three. I think we'll, I think we'll be split after game two. Uh, Chris Archer still hasn't faced Boston. I think he's kind of a kind of done pitcher. Like we're we're not really intimidated by Chris Archer anymore. Like we once were when he was a longtime standout with Tampa Bay when he was just an absolute monster for I think like three, four, five years in Tampa before an injury or two and try to refine himself again. Excuse me. I I'm just going to give this one to, to, to Minnesota and, and that'll be the, the one game that we're kind of sitting there saying, ah, oh, darn, maybe we could have gotten it. When you're talking about their respective suck ceilings, new concept here on the podcast, I have a feeling Crawford's could be higher if he gets off to a bad start. But having said that, I'm still going to go with the Red Sox. Chris Archer and Blake Snell both have a ton in common. (laughs) 
they had one or two good years in Tampa and then sucked after. Um, so we'll see. I mean, 20, uh, excuse me, 2022 hasn't gone swimmingly for him. He's got a 334 ERA and uh, 22 starts so far this year. So he's been healthy. I guess that's uh, that's the nice thing you can say. He's averaging less than one strikeout per inning. So clearly not the guy he was those couple of good years in Tampa. I'll also take the Red Sox. Finally, game three, that's Wednesday, which is also a 740 start. So not a getaway day. This is actually a pretty good matchup here. We've got Michael Waka versus Joe Ryan. Getting Ryan's numbers up here. Uh, his last three starts against the Giants, Rangers, and Royals. All very good starts uh, against the Giants. Six innings pitched, gave up zero earned runs, struck out eight against Texas. Six and one-third innings pitched, only gave up two runs, struck out six. And then against the Kansas City Royals, five and one-third innings pitched with only two earned runs and six strikeouts. So not too bad uh, on the season. He's uh, pitching pretty well. 365 ERA in 21 games started. Jason, how do you see this one going? Yeah, this was the toughest one to pick because Michael Walker has been, you know, one of your best pitchers, if not your best pitcher all season. But Joe Ryan is nasty, and he owned the Red Sox when he faced him earlier this year. Went six innings, only gave up one run, struck out seven, didn't walk anybody. So he was dynamite in his first start against the Red Sox this year. So, and he's he's proven to be sort of a found commodity from them. Um, they got him from Tampa in the Nelson Cruz trade. So. He's been dynamite, and I just think he's going to outdo Waka. I could see as being a low-scoring game, um, but I just think Joe Ryan's got nasty stuff. And if Waka has sort of that, you know, one bad inning or just one inning that doesn't quite go his way, um, Minnesota's going to take it. So I'll take the Twins in this one because I just think Joe Ryan's a better pitcher. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you look at their lines and whatnot, I think Michael Waka has been pitching, and even though he's he's had a little bit less work this year, um, Waka's done fantastic. Uh, Waka's only lost once this year, and that loss came against Cincinnati when he didn't even allow an earned run. He allowed just one run that wasn't earned, but he still took the L. So somebody who can very well be nine and zero or ten and zero if we'd given him some run support, but. We don't have the same offense that Minnesota can sometimes put out there. Uh, this is probably the type of game where you're going to see Gary Sanchez get lucky and do something. I don't know why. I just have a really bad feeling. Whenever I you know, say something bad about Gary Sanchez, he does great. So I figure if I say something good about him, maybe it won't be like that. I'm going to go with Joe Ryan in this one too, and I'm going to say that Minnesota wins game three. He's only had one blemish all year. He is consistently allowing between two and three runs, four at the most. Only once has he gotten destroyed, and that was against San Diego. He gave up 
uh, 10 earned runs in just under five innings. Give five home runs that game. Uh, before that, his last seven starts had given up six combined. So I'm not too worried about what Joe Ryan's going to be able to do. He's also in line to throw a, a quality start. Jason already mentioned that it's going to be a low-scoring affair. I'd be shocked if it was more than five total runs. I think it's going to be a one-run game or maybe not even them that allows the runs. Maybe like a two-run homer off of one of the relievers and the game finishes 4-1. But I'm I'm going low-scoring low game, probably a three-hour game too, uh, maybe less. But uh, Minnesota will take game three. I'm not going to disagree. I mean, if Michael Walkout duels him, I won't be shocked. But at face value, Joe Ryan's been on a nice little run. And I can't, in my right mind, pick the Red Sox to sweep a team right now. So give me the Twins in Game 3. That'll do it for this show. Uh, We will be back tomorrow for Hot Take Tuesday. Everybody have a great start to your work week. Take care.